0: Him no matter what life brings. We trust Him that He's with us every step of the way. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and have a seat. That would be wonderful. Thank you, David. Thanks for bringing that out. Just want to encourage you that we're in this series called Reset. And just we're going to jump right in today as we talk about uh, what can be and probably will be a hard topic for some of you. But I've just really been praying for all of us that we would be all sensitive in our room and we'd understand that Uh, folks at different places as we talk about grief and their experience and so that we'll just be praying for those around us that the holy spirit will be comforting them even as we talk about something very complicated and difficult so Grab these message notes, if you would, uh, out of your program. They're going to allow you to take notes, and we do this so that you can write here, and so then you can take it home, and when at home, you have a chance to read over it, and then maybe God speaks to you. We actually even put some extra work in the middle just to kind of help if you wanted to learn some more things about what we talked about. And then on uh, if you'd open your Bible to John chapter 16, this will be our jumping-off place today. As we talk about resetting grief, and this will be really helpful, and I just want to give you a Bible if you don't own one. So right out there in the bookshelf, there's Bibles look just like this. You can take one. That will be our gift to you, and we just love to see you have that. So this series reset comes from an experience that Jesus had with a man, and the man comes to Jesus, and uh, he's a religious man. He says to Jesus, you know, he really wanted to do the right thing, and he said to Jesus, you know, there's 613 commandments that's how we've kind of worked this whole thing out in my religious tradition. And I just want to know uh, which one's the most important. And so Jesus said, well, if you really want to know, here it is. And he said, okay, the most important is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then I believe Jesus probably had a pause there. And he said, oh, by the way, there's a second one. And the second one is that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. And for that man... I believe that was a reset moment. That was a moment when he found out what was most important to Jesus, what was most important to God, and that he could actually clarify his purpose and his direction for life. And so what we're doing in this series is we've taken apart the whole thing about love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what does that mean? And then the last half of the series, what we're doing is we're taking that last part that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So we love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love God with all our relationships. And today what we're going to do is we're just going to look at that moment and when we have relationships, when we experience loss, and then how do we deal with loss. And so our culture, we have a hard time talking about death and what does death mean, and then uh, especially when it comes to loss of uh, someone who's close to you. But the Bible is very clear and gives us some instructions on how you and I can work through the loss that we've experienced of someone who's close to us. So what I want to do is I'm going to jump in and read some verses that Jesus spoke from John 16, John 16, Jesus says this. He's, this is right the, the night before he was going to be crucified. So he, this imminent, his death is imminent, and the cross is coming quickly. And so Jesus looks at his followers, and he says to them, words that I, I believe are words of clarity and comfort intended to give them courage, not fear, intended to give them courage. And this is what he says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Aren't you glad you came to church today, right? Oh my. I mean, I just think that he he was just wanting to clarify things. This is just the way it is. He says, we live on a broken planet. Jesus didn't come to take away our pain. Jesus came to take away the pain we experience because we're separated from God not to take away our pain in life. And he goes on to say this, but take heart. So here's the word of hope. Take heart because I have overcome the world. So I've overcome all the pain that you may experience in life. And then I've given you an opportunity that you can have hope for your future as well. So he's kind of given a forecast here, a weather forecast. He said, troubling times are coming, troubling times are coming, but take heart. They're going to clear up and it's going to be a shiny day. So that's kind of what he's saying here about the problems we face in life. Now, right before he actually gave these words, he had spoken about grief, and he's spoken about the process that we would go through in order to move to from sorrow to joy. I'll begin with verse 20. He says this, very truly, so when Jesus says that, it's like, hey, take notice. Take notice here. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. So those of you who've experienced deep grief, this is something that you're well familiar with. And this can cause you sometimes to feel very lonely. And as if no one understands, is that you're walking around... And you're in this deep sense of loss and this deep sense of loneliness. And the rest of the world just seems to be having fun, having a party. And so you can, it kind of makes you feel even more lonely. And it causes you want to even pull back further. So you can actually understand what Jesus is talking about here when he says that. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. You might underline that. You will grieve, promise, truth, but your grief will turn to joy promised truth. He says, you're going to do both. You're going to experience grief and you're going to experience joy again. So we don't have to be afraid of the grief experience of life. even though, no matter how hard it is, it comes against us. Then he talks about the idea that I think, especially for our ladies in the room who've had children, you'll understand this verse. I don't personally, um, as we read this, you'll see why. Okay. It says, is a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. So the birth process and it's, I understand there's a lot of pain in that process. Uh, But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Is that right, Mom? You forget that. You experience the joy of your child. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. No one will be able to take your joy away If you've planted in me and the promise I have, there's going to be pain now, there's going to be pain today, but there will be a day when you know no more pain and you get to experience me and you'll know joy. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. We're going to hear a story now from a woman that uh, I deeply admire and the way she's approached, and I would just say this, unfathomable and sudden death of her husband Morris. So Kim, if you and Cheryl were going to come on up, Cheryl willingly accepted my invitation To share her experience of grief after the death of her husband a little over a year ago. So I hope even now as you're listening, you'll pray with her and you'll receive what God's been doing in her life. So we just give them a warm welcome. Just thank them for being here.
1: This is my dear friend, Cheryl. And um, it was last summer, the day before Father's Day, that her husband, Boris, died very suddenly. He was Well, on Sunday, he got a fever on Monday, and on Saturday, he died. And I remember Cheryl being there with you and leaving the hospital and and feeling like I had been kicked in the gut. And I know this has been a a really difficult, pain-filled year for you, and so I'm really grateful for your courage today to come and share with our family. Cheryl has been a part of our church family for a number of years. And so I'm, I'm just grateful that you've allowed us to love on you this year. And I just want to start by asking you, how would you describe
2: grief? Hmm. For me, uh, grave, grief was complete terror. Because I had come face to face with my greatest fear. And when I say that, I saw my mom walk through losing my husband, or excuse me, my dad, when I was a young girl, and just by chance, my daughter and myself were the same age, as well as my dad and my husband were both the same age when they passed. So it was pretty hard.
1: It was uncanny in such a tragic way, and now it had become your reality. Would you tell us about
2: Boris? Well, the name alone says it. <clears throat> you don't mean too many voices. <laughs> but he was the type of person, when you met him, he left an impression, and you never forgot him. He was my hero, and we were each other's biggest fans. He, I admired him because he was such a man of strength and great courage. He had integrity and loyalty to all that he loved. And to everyone, you knew he had your back. He was a devoted father and a devoted husband. And I was grateful to walk with him all the days that I had with him. We were married for almost 15 years, knowing each other for 22. We have two beautiful daughters, Savannah and Charlotte, who are now 15 and 11. And I had to look at my girls for the first time as a single parent.
1: And I would imagine certain days stand out in your memory as being really hard. For instance, let's say the, the day that the memorial gathering was over and
2: you went home. What was that like for you? I was in complete shock. My, my body was numb. I was terrified. And I didn't know who I was without my husband. And soon, there was, I went through some pretty dark times. And there was one particular moment where I was in my living room on the floor and it took everything I could just to lift my hands up and ask God to take this because I didn't know what to do and I was willing to do whatever he wanted.
1: What did you hear the Lord whisper to you?
2: In that moment, I heard God whispered to me, finally, What do you mean by finally? I mean, I know before that moment you had committed yourself to Christ. Well, I was believing the lies of the enemy and I was living pretty passively. And in that moment, surrendering everything, God took away all of my fear and filled me up with gratitude. Gratitude. Yes. Gratitude has been... Ultimately, the greatest tool in walking through my grief. I am grateful for everything now. I am grateful how God has shown me who I am in him. I am beyond grateful for all of my family and friends who came alongside of me in my darkest time. I'm grateful that God provided a path for me to provide for my family as a PE teacher at my daughter's school. And in those early months, it was pretty hard because I would have children come up to me out of nowhere and just be, I heard your husband died. And it was heartbreaking. And I felt discouraged and I felt unqualified. But I had a moment where God spoke to me and told me to stop complaining because I was doing a lot of that in my mind. And he said, start praying over these children. And within a matter of a week, hearts were changed, and mine included. And with that, everything shifted for the better. And I actually experience a lot of joy now with all those little ones. And also, God reminded me of my knowledge in body work, because I used to be a massage therapist, and in the past few months, I've been getting back into massage and I will soon be opening up my own business again.
1: Yeah, yeah. good. Well is there a particular verse in the Bible or a resource that
2: has been brought to you that was helpful? I was given a book called The Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer and he writes, it's how we respond to loss that matters and that will largely determine the quality the direction, and the impact of our lives. Mm -hmm. And also Psalms 23, where it says, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't camp out there. And God reminded me that, and he met me in my darkest time and helped walk me through And
1: part of what you shared with me is that getting through is an everyday deal and that you have found early morning time to be important for you. And there was a particular day that the Lord gave you a new picture of yourself. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yes. For the ones that know me, I am a very early riser. And that used to be Boris and my time together. Well, now I give that time to the Lord And first and foremost, I offer myself up to God, and I invite the Holy Spirit in, in to guide me throughout the day. One particular morning, I like to walk my property as I pray. I was outside, and as I was praying the armor of God over myself, I was actively putting on each piece I had a moment where I saw myself as this huge and mighty warrior, and I was standing in a dark field, and I was radiating light, and it was gone. And I truly believe God was showing me who I am to him, him, and in him, and is really showing me how to continue my journey with him.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, And I also find it so valuable to start my mornings with him that I no longer tuck my Bible away. I just leave it out on my table with all of my study materials, and I often, through worship music, find myself dancing around.
1: Dancing. Love it. What a picture of him turning our morning into dancing. Cheryl, you've come a really long way in a short time. Do you find that there are still some days that are hard for you?
2: Oh, absolutely. Just this past week, um, I woke up. And it was as if it had just happened. I had the gut-wrenching pain in my stomach. And it took all of my being just to get up and get through the day. But God is so amazing. He reminded me that I have people. So I called upon them to pray for me and lift me up. And even though I didn't have the words to pray to him, I found them through song. And he reminded me that, He's faithful. So as long as he is faithful, I will continue to be faithful all of my days to him. You've given us a great
1: glimpse today of what it is like to walk through the valley of the shadow and how you've chosen to lean on your Savior as your shepherd who will never leave you. And I just wondered as we approach Father's Day, that one-year anniversary, would it be okay if we take a moment now and just pray for you? Please do. Let's all pray for Cheryl. Lord, we thank you for our sister, um, because she is a beautiful picture of what we just sang about. She's chosen to believe everything that you say you are. And because she is trusting in your unchanging heart for her, Lord, she's keeping her eyes on you through this valley. You've promised you're bringing her through. And Lord, we think of Savannah and Charlotte. We thank you that you will be faithful. And we ask that as they come to this one-year anniversary, Lord, that they would remember how you restore their soul day by day, hour by hour. Surely your goodness and love will pursue them and follow them all the days of their lives. We pray for all of those who love Boris, who are still making their way through grief. And we know you will be faithful to each individual. And reveal yourself in brand new ways to them as you have done for Cheryl. And we thank you for hearing our prayer for our sis. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Would you just give her a hand and say, we'll be praying for you, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So it took a lot of courage for her to come up and talk today. And I just want to remind all of us that grief is personal. And there's no one person that goes through the same process, and it doesn't look the same for anyone. And so this was her story of how God's worked in her, and I know we'll just continue to pray for her, and we can be give her words of encouragement. And so I, I remember the day when uh, Boris died, and then I remember Cheryl's fear when she talked about being a single mom. Uh, that they had gone; Boris was the only provider for the home, and she had not worked. It, ever since they'd gotten married and so there was all the fear about how do we provide and the fear the the, all the confusion then about uh, my dad died at the same age and i'm going through the same thing my greatest fear is being lived out right in front of me right now it's actually happening and so i just really appreciate her courage and now uh, when she talked about being a warrior who's shining in a field she's a shining light for uh, how god can work in even our most difficult circumstances and situations uh, so what I want to do today is I want to take a few moments and I'm going to walk through uh, an idea, some ideas, uh, observations about grief, let's say it that way. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a personal experience uh, that this uh, May 14th was 30 years since my first wife was killed in a car wreck and what I learned through that experience and then now having been a pastor uh, for 26 years, uh, have had a lot of experience to walk through with people through their most darkest experiences and so i'm going to take some of that i just want to bring it to the table today and help us all that we can understand grief and now you may say well i i don't have grief ron well i just want to tell you jesus said in this world you will have troubles and so i'm preparing you for a future that's going to happen it's going to come to you for some of you you're in the middle of grief and and i just want to say thank you for being here I knew that it would take a lot of courage for you to be here today. There's going to be moments where you're going to uh, really maybe feel like bolting and running out. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the strength to stay and to hear the words that he wants to say to you today. Others of you are going to have memories of someone who's uh, passed. And that it's going to bring up the feelings that you have about your loss. And going to give you a moment. And uh, maybe like Cheryl, you can practice gratitude today for the impact that person had in your life. So just four observations, okay? The first one is this. I want to encourage you, if you're going to move from sorrow to joy, that you would embrace the process of grief. So you would embrace the process of grief. It is a process, and it's something that we have to engage in. Loss will come, but grief is optional. And so I know it sounds crazy to say that, because we talk a lot about grief that people feel, but the grieving process is what I would say is optional, a healthy grieving process. And so as Mark read earlier from Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes 3, uh, the wisdom writer says, for everything there is a season, a time for every every activity under heaven, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. And so he's just saying, hey, this is, just like Jesus said, these are the times of life that we're all going to go through. We're going to experience loss. We're going to experience pain. We're going to experience sorrow, and we're going to experience fear. Therefore, it's important for us to know how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death when that time actually comes. Grief is a process because we're all going to face loss in life. And for most of us, when we think about grief, it's that thing we want to avoid with everything possible. We want to say that that's something that we look at and we think that has to be so confusing, so painful, and and consuming, all-consuming in life. And so we think of all the ways that we might want to escape that. But I just want to encourage you today that the best way through loss is to enter into the process of grief. And so the first step is just to acknowledge that, just acknowledge the pain that you're feeling. And so when we talk about loss, there's all kinds of losses that we have. So I just want to kind of broaden the, the, the table just a little bit today as we think about that. Uh, sure, there's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a parent, uh, grandparents, uh, children. And I look at that, and there's all kinds of ways that we experience loss through death. But there are other losses. It can be the loss of a job. It can be the loss of a marriage. And then the grief that goes with that, the loss of a dream, uh, the loss that comes from having a miscarriage, significant loss there, the loss from infertility and what the hopes might have been for life, the loss from pain that comes from simply circumstances that are outside of my control. So I have these circumstances that happen that I have no, I had no deal in this, but I'm going to experience loss just simply because I'm breathing and I'm a human being. The life, the loss from the choices of others, the loss from divorce and all that brings into a family, the loss of personal health or the health of someone close, the loss that comes from a major move, moving into another part of the country. Some of you may have just come here from another place. There's loss in that. And so the the best thing to do would be to grieve that loss. We all go through loss. One of the early books I read on this was a book called Transitions by a guy named William Bridges, uh, and read it 20 some years ago. And he was talking about all transition leads to loss which then must which then requires grief in order to get over it and i'm going to read a quote just a little bit that'll help us to understand what happens if we don't enter into that grief in fact i'll just read it now it's from h norman Wright, and it's from a little book it's called experiencing grief and uh we uh, carry this typically in our bookstore we uh, sold out of all of them in the first service we had a lot of demand for this today um, you can see Experiencing Grief, H. Norman Wright. If you wanted to get this uh, via an online source, uh, you can do that. We'll have several copies again next week. Uh, and as I picked this up to kind of remind myself, because this was really helpful for me uh, as I was helping coach people through the grief process, I just happened to notice that this was the book that Kim read after the death of her dad. And so it's very personal, uh, her observations and feelings. And so here's what he says that's so essential for us to understand. Whenever there is a loss, there will be grief. But some, notice this, some do not grieve or mourn. Some make a choice not to express all their feelings inside so their grief is actually accumulated. Saving it, though, won't lessen the pain. It will only intensify it, make it stronger. Silence covers the wounds before the cleansing has occurred. The result will be an emotional infection. So I have to cleanse the wound so that I can not cover up all of the uh, bacteria that would be on the inside from my loss, and then it would just fester then for the rest of my life and actually cause me to end up with serious emotional problems if I don't deal with it. Grieving is critical and important. It's essential for us to embrace. Jesus talks about this. He talks about the process of grief, and he talks about the fact that there's actually a benefit to grief. And he says this and. Matthew chapter 5, he says, "...blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted." So he said, embrace grief, embrace this, and embrace what I want to do. And he's saying that you will experience the blessings of God in ways that you never could imagine as you walk through this process. So what I want to do is I thought some of the things I could do today would just be helpful to to kind of help us all to understand grief a little bit. So I'm going to walk through the five kind of phases or seasons of grief right now. Right there on the front side, you've got a little space there between the first two points. And you just might want to write down the five stages I'm going to give you. And these are five stages that we are essential to, we all go through through grief. They don't always happen in the order I'm going to give them, okay? And the first is shock. So Cheryl mentioned this, that as soon as she heard about Boris and she walked out of the hospital, the first thing she felt was shock. She felt numb, numb physically, and I'll just say she probably felt numb emotionally as well. And I remember the time when uh, it was after my first wife, Darla, had died, and the memorial services were over, and I was back in Phoenix, and I was alone, in our little duplex there, and uh, I got a call from a pastor that I really hardly knew. But he'd heard about what had happened, and he thought he would just call and check up on me to see how I was doing. And when he did, you know, I, I said, "Well, hey, you know, I'm do- I just don't feel anything right now. I, I don't feel what I think I should be feeling right now, and uh, I I seem to be, you know, kind of holding up and, and my circumstances and my situations and, and my situation. And what I realized later, and he helped me to see, is I was experiencing shock." I was experiencing shock. Now, you know this, you know, when somebody loses someone and you have two people who are talking about the person who's lost someone and you say, how are they doing? Well, they seem to be holding up well under the circumstances, right? You've heard that phrase. You've probably used that phrase. Well, what that means is, is that they're going through the the, the phase of shock right now because God, basically, he lessens the pain of the initial loss so that it doesn't totally Cheryl said, gut-wrenching. gets uh, gut-wrenching. If we would experience the entire depths of the pain all at once, it would put us under. And so what he did is he built into this system, this kind of shock-absorbing system. But I, the way I look at it and the way my pastor friend explained it to me, he had been talking with a woman who had lost a child, and she was talking about this area of shock and what she was feeling. And she said, it was like being in a bubble of the Holy Spirit... She's a follower of Jesus, being in the bubble of the Holy Spirit. And so I was being sheltered from the feelings by this bubble. And what happened is is that God, over a series of time, allowed holes in the bubble so that the pain could come in in a moment and a time when I could actually absorb it. And so that's how God works with this idea of shock, is he slowly will allow us to feel the pain of the experience that we're going going through at the moment. So that's shock. Second phase is the season of anger. Season of anger. Now, this can happen you know early, it can happen several times, it can happen way later in life as well. Uh, and this idea of anger, and so we we when we have loss, we're incensed that something's been taken from us and it's not fair and it's not right. And so we you know we well up in anger. And so what, we, we express that anger. And so sometimes somebody who's grieving, they're going to express anger at you. But just know it's not at you. It's the anger that they're feeling inside that they're just needing in some way to express right now. And, or they're going to have moments where they're going to express anger at God. And I just want to say this. Don't be afraid when you have a friend who wants to cuss God out. Okay? God can take it. Just don't be afraid when you have a friend who wants to express their anger at God. Now, there's a worry point if it goes on and they get stuck in bitterness at God. But anger at God is healthy, and that's actually a good thing to express. Or they express their anger at these circumstances, but that's anger. Third phase is bargaining. So in the bargaining phase is basically what I'm doing is is I'm I'm, I'm going through all the scenarios in my mind. I'm going to go back and playing the tapes, and I'm going, if only, if only, if only. What if, what if, what if? And so I'm trying to bargain somehow in my mind that I can change the outcome that happened just simply by controlling how we respond in the past. there's no way I can change that. And then the fourth phase is depression. It's depression. So this is where I get to the place where I feel like I can, I can no longer function. I feel emotionally dead. I, the only thing I want to do is I want to go to sleep, but then when I try to sleep, I can't, I stay awake. And so I, I'm, I'm, you know, sheltering myself from people, I'm avoiding them, uh, I'm feeling that all is lost. And so the depression phase is normal, but you've got to be really careful in the depression phase, once again, that you don't get stuck there. So those of you who have people who are grieving, just notice. And if there's an ongoing depression, then there's, you want to encourage them that they need to get counseling. They need to get some help in some way to deal with the depression that they're going through. And then the last phase is actually acceptance. Now, I'm not going to say relief, I'm just going to say acceptance, and that's what it's called. And so here's where I still feel sad, I still wish it hadn't happened, I still you know, have deep feelings of sorrow, but I'm going to now accept the reality of what happened, because that's the healthiest place to be, and the healthiest way to honor the person I've lost is to accept that this is now my new reality. And when I can accept that, like Cheryl said, you know what? I'm becoming a massage therapist again. I'm going to open up a business. She's accepting the reality that she's in right now. And then she's able to go forward and have actually a reset and a restart. See, you know, when you get to this last phase, I'm not saying that you have to forget the person Oh, by no means. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that what you need to do is accept it. Here's what you're going to, most of us, when we experience a loss of this kind, we're going to walk through the rest of our lives with a limp. We are. And that limp's never going to go away. And part of the comfort in that limp, if I can call it that, is that that's showing the value that person had to me. Like that's what grief is, really. When you, when you grieve, you're actually showing the value that someone else had to you that you're willing to go through this process. Now, just know there's no formula. There's no schedule to follow. You know, Some folks say, I've always heard a magic number of a year. That's what I was told a year. Uh, it can happen. Grief can go on for, I had another woman who told me who lost a child that took 10 years, 10 years before she could breathe again. And so it doesn't, there's not a schedule, there's not something you follow through, it happens in different ways. Okay, so I embrace the process, Two, I embrace the presence of God. I embrace the presence of God. That's how I'm going to get through my grief. And Cheryl talked about how she started right away turning to the Bible, to music, and then prayer, and walking her property as she embraced God. Now, you don't have to look, just say it this way, you don't have to look far to find God's presence in grief. You don't have to look far. One of the verses that helped me so much was Psalm 34. And so as I read that, I want you to underline the second word, the word close. The Lord is close. Underline that. Highlight it. Close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, I just got to tell you, I don't fully understand that verse. I really don't. The Bible teaches us that God is omnipresent. What does that mean? He's everywhere. That means there's no place God is not. So how can a God who's everywhere be closer now? It's mind-boggling. But the verse is there because it's a word of comfort for us, a word of comfort for us that say, you may have thought God was close before, but God is so close now that he is right there with you. You know, we talk a lot and we say that there's something that happens when we gather here on a Sunday, when we, you know, we sing together. We pray together, we give together, we listen to teaching together, we respond together. There's something that happens here, the dynamic that happens when God brings his people together that doesn't happen when we're anywhere else in the planet. Well, that's something similar, I think, to what the psalmist is saying here. There's something that happens in grief, doesn't happen any other time, that God gets closer, closer to you, and you cannot move away from him. He does something in this supernatural realm. And so if he's that close to me, one of the phrases I've been using for a long time is, is that if he's that close, I'm going to lean hard into God. Lean hard into God. Physically, lean into him hard because I'm saying you're my only hope and I'm going to embrace you and your presence. One of the key verses that helped me as I was going through my personal grief is 2 Corinthians 1. And Paul is writing, and he says this. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he says who he, God is. He says, the Father of compassion. So this is what we're needing. We're needing compassion. But he's also the God of all comfort. He's not the God of all charge, He's the God of all comfort. He comes beside us when we're in our difficult situations, and he wants to give us what we need that only he knows and only he can give. And he comforts us in our troubles, and it goes on to the next part, so that we can comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. So God comforts us in our grief, and one of the ways he does that, uh, I love this verse in the Bible, it talks about the fact that God catches all of our tears in a bottle. You know, you know, all of our tears, folks. Now, some of us, we're, you know, we're, we're tear happy and others of us are tear, you know, we're in a, in a drought, okay? But the deal is, is that God catches every single one. We don't even remember our tears and why we cried them, but God does. That's the comfort he wants to give you, to know that he's that close to you. He's the father of compassion. He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. And the best way I could kind of describe this as I was, I was just kind of thinking about it, as I was thinking about when my kids were little, and we're talking toddlerhood age right now, is that there was something to happen. They wouldn't get something they wanted, or that they would you know, have some pain, or that there would be something that was getting in their way in some way, or they would get mad, and they didn't know how to express it, and so they would basically start spinning. Now, not physically spinning, but emotionally spinning. Anybody, know, anybody have kids besides me? You know this, you know, so they start spinning and they spin and they spin. And, and, they're, and you just, you're standing back, and at that moment, your only job, you cannot control the spinning, okay? Your only job is to contain it. That's what got you contain it. And then what you do is you're there, and they know you're there. And then what happened with our kids almost every single time without fail, there'd be a moment when there would be a breath or a pause and then a release. And they would release that, and then they would be able to lean into our arms and receive the comfort they'd been needing all along. But it was because we contained it. Well, folks, that's what God does with us. God contains our emotions. He contains our feelings. He gave us our feelings. He knows what those feelings are. And so when he comforts us, it's so that we will then rest in his arms, and we will allow him to comfort us in a new and a better way. And then what it says is then because we've known that comfort ourselves and we've experienced it you know on every level, emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, then now we can offer comfort to others. And that's the third idea, the third observation, that I will embrace the, I call it this way, the people of comfort. When I'm going through my grief, I need to embrace the people of comfort, those who have been comforted by God so that they can now bring me Comfort. Now this is, I say this is probably one of the most tangible aspects of the grief process, and so it's a call to be with others, to not isolate and to uh, be distant. But it's also a call to us who are not going through grief that we would come alongside those who are grieving. So I just remember in the first, so Darla died, and we had our memorial services, and I'm back in Phoenix living in our duplex alone, summertime, and I'm just devastated. You know, I'm starting to feel the bubble's have been taken away, and I'm laying on the floor, I'm laying in the bed, just guttural cries, just didn't know they'd ever go away, they'd ever stop. And I'm thinking, I've got to do something right now. And so I thought, I've got to be with people. And so I, I thought, well, I'll go where people are. So I, there was a mall a mile from our house, so I drove to the mall, and I'm walking around the corridors of the mall, and there's, all kinds of people there and people everywhere. And as I'm walking along, the only thing I'm thinking inside is I wanted to yell out, do you know what's happened to me? Because I wanted someone to relate, but they couldn't. And what I discovered is I felt even lonelier after going to the mall than I did before. And what I needed was people who knew me and knew Darla to come alongside of me and to give me comfort. Later, I was living in Texas and I had some friends that had moved there who were very dear to me, and I was going through a very emotional time and was really struggling. And they lived about 60 or 70 miles outside of where, I, away from where I was living in the country on a ranch. And so I called them and said, hey, can I come visit? And they said, sure. So I came out. We had dinner. And after dinner, we're sitting on the porch. And I just started talking to them. And I said, you know what? And it just dawned on me. What I need is I need someone to touch me physically. And so they took the cue, and they both came next to me. And they hugged me and we just, they knew Darla, they knew our marriage. And then because they knew all of that, they were in the hospital room the morning, I found out that she died. And because of their comfort, I was comforted. They came close to me and I was able to experience comfort in that moment. And the Bible calls us to do that with each other. Here's two verses. First one, Galatians 6. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Underline the word share. Share share each other's burdens, come alongside and engage with them. And then Romans 12, Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's awesome, right? Celebrate the anniversary, celebrate the birthday, celebrate the promotions, and then mourn with those who mourn. Now, some of you are gifted at this and we need you, especially those who are really gifted at compassion. We need you, but he's called us, all of us. This is just not some people as they go through life. Now, I'm just going to give you some thoughts here about how you can help others. Uh, when you come alongside of them to give them comfort, just some words of advice and maybe warning a little bit uh, as we go. first, when you um when you have someone in your world who's lost someone that's dear to them, don't wait for them to call you, please don't wait for them to call you because here's what we say. We'll say it at the memorial service. We'll say it every time we see them. Call me if you need anything. What you've done right there is you've put all the pressure on them. And when they're going through grief, they're going through their struggles, they don't have the wherewithal, they don't have the emotional strength to call you. And what you want to do is you want to be the one who calls them. Don't worry if you call someone and they may see it's you and they don't answer the phone. You've tried, you've called, or they see it's you and you talk to them and they they don't know what what they actually need. So they don't know how to let you help them. Give them a meal. Find ways that you can offer them some way to know that you care. Second, don't try to console them with questions they aren't asking. Okay, so don't try to console them with questions they don't, aren't Don't try to assume you know what they're feeling. I mean, it even happened to me in the lobby just now. I'm in the lobby right now. I'm talking with a family who lost a son. I turn next to them. I'm talking with a woman. She says, you, uh, you don't know what it's like to lose a son. And I said, I do. And she said, no, you don't. Have you lost a son? I said, no, I haven't. I've just been talking with some who had... And I thought I could understand, but she said, "You know, you don't understand because you've never lost a son." And she don't, she's so right. So don't assume you know what someone's going through because you've gone through a painful experience yourself. Every person's pain is unique, and every person's pain is different. And I'd say third thing: stay away from pat answers. Stay away from pat answers. No. So when you give a pat answer, what you're trying to do is you're trying to take care of your own discomfort honest. You're trying to take care of the, your own discomfort. So what happens, though, when you give a pat answer to someone is that you may actually cause them more pain than they were actually feeling before your presence. And so we just need to understand that. And so here's some a here's some couple of pat answers I just want to give you that hopefully after today you'll never use again. I'll shame you into this. Uh, and so when you say this, when you say, you're talking to them and you say, God must have really needed him in heaven. You know what, folks? That is not helpful. Every time I hear someone say that, I cringe inside because God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need anything. And when I say, when you say that God must have needed them more than you did, more than you did, it it just pours gasoline on the pain that they're feeling. Here's another one that people say. She's in a better place. You know what? There's truth in that. There's hope in that. But this was the place. This was the better place to me. Yeah, there's going to be heaven someday for all of us, but we were supposed to go together if we were going to go. So just to say she's in a better place or he's in a better place, that's not helpful in any way. And then the fourth thing I want to suggest to you is that you just realize grief takes time. Realize grief takes time and that everyone's going to go through grief differently. Uh, I would say grief is not something, You know, people say, well, how did you overcome grief? You don't overcome grief. As Cheryl said, you go through grief. You go through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not something you overcome, it's something that you will actually carry more than likely for the rest of your life as you go through life. And then lastly, I'll just say this grief is like a roller coaster ride. And so, uh, in the first stages of when you feel when God allows the feelings through the shock bubble, through the emotional bubble, when he allows those feelings in, at first you're going to feel strong emotions. And you're going to feel strong emotions, positive and negative. And mostly they're going to be negative at first. And then what's going to happen is, that is it's like a roller coaster, but there's no space between the dips. So it's just like this. It's like that. And that your feet, that's what you're feeling. And then what happens is, as time goes on, See, there's, there's time, is really key here. As time goes on, then the dips are spaced out more and more. But then what happens is, is that somebody starts thinking that they're moving into a place where they're in healing, and that typically means I'm not going to feel bad anymore. Or I'm not going to feel these deep, emotional, difficult feelings that I've been having. And so what happens is, what happened for me is when I, my, my dips were spread out, is that when the bottoms hit, I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought there was something wrong with God. And okay, I don't want to feel like this again. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go back. It's all over again. That's when I went to counseling. That's when I went to, I need someone to give me perspective about the fact that r- grief is like a roller coaster and I'm going to go through both ups and downs and I can accept that in life. And okay, last idea I want to share with you. Last observation is this. Embrace the promise of hope. Embrace the promise of hope. And there is hope. Jesus says that he's overcome the world so there is hope. So we have to embrace that promise because that's what can pull us through the grief process through the valley of the shadow of death. So Lamentations 3, and these conclude some verses here that were, were so key for my personal stability and my grief, and then we sang about them today, and great is thy faithfulness. But the writer says this in his lament, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So here's what he's calling to mind. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions or his mercies, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. I can trust in him. He's promised me that it's new every morning. And then for me, it was new every moment. Then it's new every hour. Then it's new every morning. Then it's new every week because I've learned to trust in him. Because I know what it's hard. You go to bed at night, and nighttime can be the hardest time in grief. And so simply the promise that it was going to be new in the morning allowed me to go to sleep, allowed me to rest, and allowed me to trust in him. His compassions never fail. Here's another quote from Norm Wright, and we're bringing this thing to a close now, but this is what he says. In times of loss and sorrow, we, people of faith, have to believe against the grain. So with the grain is to to believe that all is lost. Against the grain is saying, I'm going to believe by faith. I'm going to have hope and a promise that goes against what I'm looking at and my circumstances. In our weakness, God reveals his strength, and we can do more than we thought possible. Faith means clinging to God in spite of our circumstances, so I embrace him, It means following him when we can't see him. It means being faithful to him when we don't feel like it. Resilient people have a creed that says, I believe, as they cry out, God, help me believe. I believe, God, help my unbelief. God, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. That's the work it takes of grief with the promise of hope leading and guiding you. I want to read this verse from Romans 8. It's another verse that was really helpful for me During my grief process, it says this, Romans 8, we know, underline that word know, we know that God causes everything, underline everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. See, what we know is what gives us hope. What we know is what makes sense and helps us to walk through the difficulties. So here's what I know. So I know certain things. I know that even in the middle of the grief, when we're feeling like life doesn't make sense, I can have peace and I can stand securely because I know that God is with me and I know that he loves me. Here's what I know. Even in the middle of grief, when I'm feeling that my pain will overcome me, overwhelm me, I can still have joy and I can stand confidently because I know that God is good and has a greater plan. Here's what I know, even though my grief may be suffocating and I wonder if I'm ever going to make it, I can still have hope and I can stand strong because we know that there's more to God's story. And I know this verse to be true from Philippians 1 that says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day that Christ Jesus returns. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. You will grieve now, but there will be a day when you will have full joy. Let's pray together. God, I just want to pray now for those in the room that have hung with me today and uh, have stayed even though it's been really hard and so I just pray now God of all comfort that you would shower your spirit on them they would sense a closeness to you you would encourage them, you would give them courage God you would help them to know that there is hope that grief is not the end grief is just the process as we make it through the valley of shadow of death. So I pray that you would encourage and strengthen them in every way. God, I pray for those who have been through death or been through loss and they have been thinking of those moments and they're reliving it and even now they're thinking of the if-onlys and the what-ifs again over here. Father, I pray that they would release that to you. I pray that like Cheryl did, that they would practice gratitude for what they had, gratitude for what they experienced, and that, that gratitude would change them. God, I pray for us as a church that we'd be even better at coming alongside those who are hurting. That be we'd just be so aware. Beware of the people in our robe, beware of the people that are in our just right next to us that we see every week. And we'd go out of our way to find out how they're doing, what life is like, and we could know how we can pray. I pray for those who are in community groups that you would give them even more courage to go deeper into open up the pain that they have and just see what happens in the group as everyone starts sharing what they need comfort for and just see how the group bonds in a new way. And God, I just thank you that you're the God of all comfort and how you give us your peace. May we learn to rest in that. May we know your joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.